We're in the second week of a December series called Fear Not. And I've got a little Bible study group here in front of me and maybe a little Bible study group in front of uh, your computer or your phone or your uh, TV. And I said this last week, I think it's true. I don't think there's been a time in my ministry or lifetime where the mood has been quite as anxious, fearful, chaotic. Uh, Mental health, I think, is probably at an all-time crisis. And so I find it timely just how many times in the Christmas story of all things that God, through his emissaries, says, fear not. Don't be afraid. And we see an angel appear to different people. And the first thing the angel always says is, say it with me at home, fear not. And uh, you might even at home want to grab a Bible or your Bible app. And if you can, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to see this angel appear to Joseph. And I want to talk about something that's a little close to home, actually. Um, Maybe it's close to home for you. How do we overcome our fear of what people think of us? Um, Let's just play along at home, in fact. How many of you, you can raise your hand at home. Nobody will be there to see it. How many of you would say that you care a lot about what people think of you? Now, if I could look through the camera and see all the homes watching today, and I would guess that those who don't have their hand raised right now are those who care too much about what I think of you, and therefore, you just proved my point. We care about what people think on some level or another. Do you like the car I drive? Do you like the clothes I wear? Do you like my hairstyle? Uh, Do you think I'm funny? Do I fit in? Um, Do you agree with my pandemic opinions? Uh, Do you like my Instagram selfie? Uh, If I hold it up here, do I only have uh, two chins? But if I hold it down here, do I have my regular four chins? Um, Do you like my my duck lips? And we become so easily obsessed with what other people think about us. And so in this week's story, we're going to watch Joseph kind of worry about the opinions of other people. And he'll have to decide between doing the easy thing or the right thing, between what people would want him to do versus what God would have him do. And so... Can I just give you a little bit of context, first of all? Joseph is engaged to be married to a teenage virgin girl named Mary. Now, in this time in history, engagements were a little different than what we're used to in 2020. Today, if you're engaged and things go weird, then you can just break off the engagement. Back in this time, an engagement was actually a binding agreement Um, you would be engaged, say, for a year's period of time. And in that time, if you wanted to break the engagement, you actually had to file for divorce. Um, So the only way to get out of engagement would be to get divorced or to die. And in fact, the engagement was so serious that if, if one of the two people died, the other would be considered a widow or a widower. Serious stuff. 
So with that in mind, let's just pick up the story in Matthew 1.18. Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you can just read this, but if you try to use your God-given imagination to, to, to get in the mind of Joseph and Mary, you got to admit that's going to be a really awkward conversation when Mary sits down with her fiancé and says, <clears throat> Joey, baby, uh, I, I've got something to tell you, and I, I'm pregnant, but don't, don't, uh, don't jump to conclusions. The good news it, it was by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph is like, oh, you think I'm dumb. I see. Okay, you think I'm so dumb it takes me two hours to watch 60 Minutes. You think I'm so dumb I forgot the recipe to ice cubes. You, you think I'm so dumb I have to call the operator to get the number for 911. Um, strictly from a human perspective, he's kind of got two options. I mean, if you factor out the possibility that God actually did something supernatural here that has never happened in human history, it's like either this chick is crazy or this chick is a liar and I don't want to marry a crazy chick and I don't want to marry a lying chick. And so Joseph is going to be asking himself, if I stay with this girl, What's everybody going to say? What are they going to think about us? Because from a cultural perspective, back in this day, she's already damaged goods. And, and actually more serious than that, if you're pregnant out of wedlock at that time, punishable by death, she would be, she could get stoned for this. Not the, not the good kind either. And from Joseph's perspective, he's marked for the rest of his life, whether he's the guy that got her pregnant or she got pregnant from someone else, from that point on, he's going to find it hard to get a job. Uh, if he divorces her at that point, there's no father who's going to want to bless uh, the marriage to his daughter, to Joseph. Uh, he might find it difficult to get people to do business with them. You know, he walks into the falafel shop and they're like, you know, we don't serve your type around here, these parts, because everybody's going to know what's going on in this guy's life. And so we don't know for sure the state of his mind, but what we do know from the text is that he's ready to bail on this relationship. Uh, he's done. Either he, he doesn't believe her or he doesn't want to take the heat, whatever. But he thinks about it and he's like... I it's probably best if we make this a country and Western song and I go out for a pack of smokes and just never come back. Verse 19, Matthew 1. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind um, to divorce her quietly. So he's going to peace out on this relationship. Now, a lot of commentaries I read... Uh, said that divorcing her quietly was actually a very noble, honoring thing for him to do. He's thinking, I'm not going to expose her to public shame. I'm not going to say to everybody, she cheated on me, you know, stone her to death. He actually probably really loves her, cares for her, and thinks, 
you know, maybe she can have this baby somewhere and hopefully start over and, and I'll start over and we'll just sort of move on down the road. And he's about to learn one of the most, I think, important lessons for those who want to honor God. Are you ready for it? I see, I see Sydney has her Bible open. If you're taking notes, this is, this is big. Joseph's gonna learn that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Okay, he's going to learn that if you want to obey God, there will be times when other people won't agree and they will not understand. Sometimes pleasing God means disappointing people. And and here's how the story goes down to verse 20 and 21. Um, But after Joseph had considered this, in other words, he's thinking, okay, here's the pros, here's the cons, and the cons of staying are outweighing the pros. After he considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, fear not. Now the King James Version says, fear not. My version says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 21, this is powerful. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will what? save his people from their sins. So he awakes from this dream, from this vision, this whatever, and you got to imagine the roller coaster of emotions that Joseph is feeling. Like Yowzer, for centuries and centuries, we've had this prophesied that a Messiah is going to come. And here an angel of the Lord has told me that I get to be a part of the greatest event in history. Did that just happen? And at the same time, he's got to be thinking, uh, what are people going to say about me? What is this going to cost me? Um, Everybody's going to think we're both crazy. Uh, They're going to tell me to dump this girl or worse. Should I do what people want or should I do what God wants? Can I just promise you something as a a follower of Christ? if you're a follower of Jesus at different points in your life, you're going to be confronted with opportunities to obey God or do something easier to win the approval of people. And, and this is a lesson I keep having to relearn. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. I want that to sink in. And and the reality is for most of us, we drift toward wanting to please people. What do you think of me? Do you like me? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Am I cool enough? Can I be part of your club? Do you think I'm doing the right thing? You know, do you like my hair? You don't? Oh, you think it makes me look fat? Okay, thanks. And suddenly, without even meaning to, we surrender our lives to the opinions of people at the expense of actually living to please God. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. And here's the good news, because the flip side is actually true as well. And so you want to write this down. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Living for an audience of one saying, uh, God, I want to please you with 
with all that I am, with all that I do, man, that is the best way. Perhaps it's the only way to stop living for the approval of others, to stop living in fear of the opinion of others. And here's the bottom line. I know this is a cliche, okay? But when you think about it, you literally can't please all the people all the time, can you, right? If you try to please people, all people, I mean, that's just a fool's game. You're gonna fail at some point. You know, if, if, if you wear your hair one way, you like this, yeah, you're cool now. Another group says, no, it's ugly. Um, if I believe this politically, you know, am I okay? No, okay, what if I'm more on the right? Oh, no, what? okay, I'll be right in the middle and then everybody hates you. Uh, whatever the case may be, because if you try to please one group, you are bound to displease another group. And the bottom line is, no matter how hard you try, you cannot please everyone. Do you think pastors care about what other people think? How about when a decision is made to either shut down a church or reopen a church? You know, both of these decisions have major detractors on either side, right? And uh, strong opposing opinions, no matter what. One group is is not going to be happy. Uh, Do you think I care what other people think about me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To say the least. The good news is um, you can actually please God. I can please God. You can live a life where God looks at you and says, you done good, kiddo. You did the right thing. You brought glory to my name. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is possible. How do we overcome living for what everyone else thinks? We live for an audience of one. And Joseph is gonna have to get to a place in his life where where he's able to say, you know what? I value the opinion of God over the opinion of people. This is, this is hard stuff. This is stuff I am working through. And I'm old. So, I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen once you turn 18, once you get married, once you have kids. Like, people-pleasing is, is real. Now, how does this play out in our everyday life? It's, it's easier said than done. Um, like I say, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm a work in progress. So how do we live for God instead of living for people? Let me just give you two thoughts. Even though I'm a work in progress, I have a couple thoughts that I think are based on what God says. The first one, and this might really speak to some of you, because when you're living for God, not everybody's gonna like it. Uh, pleasing God often means disappointing people. So, so here goes. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, uh, you're not ready to be used by God. I, I, I'm gonna say that again because someone just got convicted this morning. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, I don't think you're ready to be used by God. You think about all the different ways that Joseph and Mary are about to be criticized. I mean, they are going to be publicly disgraced again and again. I think maybe the Bible doesn't 
always come back to this, but I think for years they would hear, oh, that's Joseph and Mary, you know? Uh, He's not really the baby daddy, right? Oh, you know, they say it was the Holy Ghost, but I I saw his donkey parked outside her apartment at 2 a.m., and uh, you know they weren't doing a Bible study at 2 a.m. You know, all these rumors would be floating around for for maybe the, the life of, of Jesus' time. Uh, he was probably the subject of rumors growing up in Nazareth and, and hanging over his head would be the reputation of his parents. And I don't know how this will play out in your life, uh, but there's gonna be a time when you're reading God's word maybe and God's word tells you to do something that is culturally unpopular. And if you're going to obey, you're going to be criticized. And you may sense the leading, the nudging of God to, to do something. Maybe you're a teenager, you're a college student. I don't know, you, you're, you're, you're breaking free of a party lifestyle. And you say, I'm not, I'm not going to get drunk anymore. I'm going to serve Christ instead. And all your party friends are like, well, have fun alone, freak. Um, you might say, you know what? No matter what I did in the past, from now on, I'm going to honor God with sexual purity. And people are going to be like, mm, do you know what year we live in? Um, you can't undo the past anyway. Good luck finding a boyfriend. Good luck finding a girlfriend. And you may be ostracized. You may be in a place where you actually... Uh, leave a high-paying job, right? And you go to a lower-paying job because you feel God is calling you to do something that will make a real difference in the world, even though the pay isn't high. And everybody, maybe even your Christian parents might be like, why would you do that? Is this your uh, downward mobility plan? If you're not ready to be criticized, for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. And listen, um, I wish it weren't so, but I think this is kind of a truism. The more you do, the, the more pain you'll experience. I mean, if you want to make a difference in this world, you will endure more pain than those who don't, okay? If you want to live a life where nobody criticizes you, let me tell you what you do. Um, do nothing. Stand for nothing. Uh, Live for nothing. Uh, I have to remind myself, and maybe I'm reminding someone else this morning of this, that if I'm going to um, die, there's some hills, I think, that are worth dying on. Uh, I would rather do something significant and have people shoot at me than do nothing at all and just sort of be free of criticism. You know, it might even mean that NAC, New Market Alliance Church, gets criticized, gets called a cult or something. You know, I've fielded those comments every now and then. Criticism when we deserve it, now that's one thing, but criticism when we're obeying God and and making a difference in the community, well, man, that's a badge of honor. And, And I think the churches who are never getting criticized are often the ones not doing anything but sort of hosting a social club. Everything significant that we will do or that you will do in this life um, will be met with some 
resistance, some form of criticism, anything significant is met with spiritual resistance and criticism. So if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God because becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. But becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to get over what people think about you. If you're not ready to get shot at, you're not ready to be used. Okay, here's thought number two, and this is going to set some of you free. I just feel it. Extraordinary acts of God often start with extraordinary acts of obedience. Let me say that again. Extraordinary acts of God often start with Sorry, ordinary acts of obedience. Think about this. Uh, the savior of the world, born uh, when a teenage kid and a bachelor carpenter said yes to God in just a, a simple act of obedience. Now, think about this. What did the angel say? You're going to have a boy. He's going to be named Jesus. He's going to save people. Now, think about that. There's no details in that message. Nothing like, they've got to be thinking, how are we going to raise him? How are we going to discipline him? Are we going to spank the Son of God? Are we going to put the Son of God in a timeout? I mean, is he going to end up spanking us, right? Like, there's no details of how this uh, uh, amazing uh, mission is going to happen. I mean, at least today we have, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. They had no details. And I think most of us are like, show me the details, Lord. And God will be like, you can't handle the details yet. If I showed you everything, you wouldn't even take the first step. You can't handle the truth. They didn't know the details. And what I try to remind myself is that we don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. We don't have to see the whole picture to put the first piece of the puzzle in place and just just trust God with the rest. Because, you know, going back to last week, um, if we could only have our eyes opened spiritually and see this unseen reality the way that Elisha's servant did, we would see that there is more with us than against us. In fact, heaven's armies are doing battle on our behalf. Extraordinary acts of God often start with just an ordinary yes from God's people. You have no idea what you might set into motion when you just simply obey what God has put on your heart. A simple act of obedience can have this this chain reaction that will bring glory to God. You may not get credit, you may not get the glory, but your yes ends up giving glory to God. And so this week, maybe when you go to invite someone to our, our digital Christmas Eve service, you have no idea how their family might be different. You have no idea even maybe how generations might be different by just a a single act of obedience because God 
put someone on your heart. Uh, when you feel prompted to serve somewhere in our church, you know, you have no idea what impact you might end up having, how life might be different, how, how you might be blessed because of it, um, how your life will be changed by, by looking to impact the life of someone else. Some of you might take the step of giving to the mission and to the vision of our church. Someone might start to tithe today. And, and one day you'll look back and you say, I can't believe what God did in my life and in my marriage and in my family and in my finances when I took this sort of single act of obedience, this step of faith. Some of you, I don't know, you might foster, you might adopt. Um, you don't know the details. You'll be like, how much is this going to cost? And how are we going to make this work? And you don't have to understand maybe everything completely to obey immediately. And, you, and so you take the next step and years later you'll be like, I cannot believe how we changed this life or maybe more likely, I cannot believe how this life changed us. You might be a single guy and you know a nice Christian girl and God's gonna prompt you to get off your butt and sell your PlayStation and get out of your mom's basement and brush your hair and iron your shirt, brush your teeth and ask her out. And one day you're going to have a son and you'll name him Pastor Jonathan because God used me as a relational kick in the butt to get you moving today to obey God, to obey the nudge in your heart. You have no idea what a single act of obedience can set into motion when you obey what God puts in your heart. Extraordinary acts of God often start with an ordinary act of obedience. And so the angel speaks to Joseph and he says, fear not. And Joseph has a, a choice to make. Does he do what's easy or does he do what's right? Does he do what people would want him to do or does he do what God would want him to do? And so in one little verse, we see his decision. And I'm, I'm encouraged today because I think this one little verse is gonna be used by God for someone this morning. He's gonna inspire someone uh, through his word, by his spirit. Here's what Joseph's response, verse 24 says. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And, and so through that simple act of obedience, the greatest act of God's love is, is fulfilled in human history through this simple carpenter, through this simple teenage girl. And when God speaks to you, you wrestle with it. What's easy? What's right? What people think? what God thinks. And there could be one sentence here that is just a destiny altering sentence. And you did what the Lord commanded you to do. Simple act of obedience. And I promise, I promise you have no idea what that single act of obedience could just set into motion when you obey what our good God, our good Father puts on your heart to obey. 
Father, I would just ask you by your spirit today that you would um, speak to your church and that we would be sensitive to what you would want to say to us directly through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that we would follow what you would call us to do today. And uh, as you take a moment, church, even there may be a lot of you that would recognize, like I do, the battle that goes on in the mind. What are they going to think of me? Am I going to fit in? Do I measure up? Are they going to like me? What are people going to think? And I want with all my heart to overcome this fear of what people think and have become so obsessed instead with what God thinks so that I would not be moved by the opinions of people. If you're watching this online, I wonder how many out there would say, I, I'm tired of fearing opinions. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a man pleaser anymore. I want to be a God pleaser. I want to align myself with the heart of God and, and want to be obsessed with his will, his purposes, his kingdom, his goodness, his direction. I want to live for him even above the opinions of other people. God, it's so easy to surrender to the opinions of other people. God, we, we just want to have the courage today to obey you no matter what. And God, I pray that today there would even be an opportunity to do the wrong thing or to do the right thing, to do the hard thing or do the easy thing. And, and that we would have the courage to do the right thing, even if it's the unpopular thing. Um, things where people might even criticize. But God, we would so much rather please you. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. We're going to sing these words in a second, that shame no longer has a place to hide. I'm not a captive to the lies. Fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love.